Welcome to the Work Minus Podcast. We talk about what we need to drop from the way we think about work and what we need to replace it with to be prepared for the future. Go to workminus.com to see a transcript of this episode, more podcasts, articles, and a newsletter that connects you to the best ideas about work. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Work Minus Podcast. Today, our guest is Paul Miller. He's the CEO and founder of the Digital Workplace Group. He's the author of The Digital Workplace and The Digital Renaissance at Work, and this is Work Minus Misery. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Neil. Great to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Why don't you give us a little bit of background about what is the Digital Workplace Group? We talk about workplaces a lot on this show, but give us some uh, background on what your company does. Um, Well, we are a global consulting company. Some people call us a, a... Uh, McKinsey of the digital workplace. So we focus on helping around about 100 major organizations, corporates, governments around the world with their digital worlds of work. We have a membership club we've been running for 17 years, a confidential community. We've got quite an extensive benchmarking evaluation practice. And essentially, we're trying to help organizations create more engaging, more productive digital worlds to work in. So define what you define as the digital workplace. What does that mean to you and to the companies you work with? Well, two definitions. One is the digital workplace, which is why I sort of helped coin the term, was is everywhere that you work that isn't physical. So, you know, the podcast we're recording is being recorded in the digital workplace. I'm somewhere physically, you're somewhere physically. Um, and the places that we're not physically are the digital workplace. So it's that's a kind of, if you like, a kind of counterfactual definition. The other way of describing it, as I say, there's a more tactical way, which is it's all of the systems of work. It's emailed, it's unified communications, it's video, it's chat, it's HR systems, it's mobile technology, it's intranets, and, and all of the kind of range of technology that, that we use in the world of work. And I think the reason why the term digital workplace is kind of stuck is that it, it tells people a story. It gives people a container for all this tech that we've invented over the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years yeah. um, uh, as places to work in. So I, I feel like um, for us right now, our digital workplace is a, a set of dozens of applications that are all kind of separate and, and sitting around different places. Uh, you, you've been looking at this arc for a lot longer. Where do you see things as they are now in terms of where they're going? Do you feel like we'll continue to see a lot more specialty apps come up that, that become part of that digital workplace or will those kind of coalesce into to major mm-hmm. systems that will be there? Um, I think things that are in my mind, and I, I do these predictions every year, and um, I've already sort of started sketching out predictions for 2020. But one of them that I'm really thinking about is the idea of the fluid um, workforce. And by that, I mean is that we, we talk about work becoming more mobile, and definitely work is becoming a flexible, mobile experience. And I, I think that trajectory is not going to change. We're not going to revert and start going back to physical, dedicated workplaces in any systemic way. Um, um, But the fluid uh, workplace and the fluid worker, I think, is this idea of people almost 
taking the gig economy mentality and bringing it into traditional organizations. Hmm. You see it particularly in the hospitality industry, the retail industry, where you've got quite high turnovers of staff. And then the question is, how do you stay in digital relationship with those people? Some of them might work for you during vacations, holidays, when they're not going, you know, uh, climbing or whatever they do for six months of the year. And this idea of this more mobile, more nomadic workplace, uh, workforce and, and staying connected to them. So I think that's that's a kind of trend that I see happening. I think we're going to see a lot more innovation um, like Microsoft Teams, which is you know a technology invented by Microsoft. And it's hard to describe what it actually is. <laughs> and I think I think that means where you're looking at what are the challenges that people face hearing each other in the digital world of work quickly connecting into different activities chatter files in a way that actually you can do from a desktop or a laptop or a mobile seamlessly and i think the beauty of that product um no vested interest in plugging it it's just something that i think is making a big impact is is the ease of journey that you get and so i think we're going to see more innovation like that um because it's been a little bit quiet you know we had slack a few years ago um but there hasn't been anything that's really kind of taken people's breath away i think until teams arrived yeah well let's get into this topic work minus misery what does that mean for you especially in relation to the digital workplace well my first day of what i call proper work was an awful long time ago, and I'd got a job that I'd really wanted to get as a trainee reporter on a on a newspaper in the north of England. Great job, and I went and they sat me down at a desk, and I started doing my stuff. And my a landlady that evening said to me, "So, how did you find it, Paul?" And I said, "Well, it was sort of okay." And she said, "Well, what, what do you mean?" I said, "Well, it's okay, but I I just can't get this idea that somebody pays you money and asks you to and tells you to sit somewhere." And I think what I was actually railing against with the idea of work as obligation and duty. So I think the industrial age essentially created a period of miserable work. Factories, offices, uh, the nine to five, the grind. You know, we invented uh, restaurant chains called Thank God It's Friday. You know, <laughs> it, it was the idea of you suffer through this. And then after you've suffered all week, you can then enjoy yourself. And I think um, the work that we're aspiring to is really to get rid of that misery, obligation, duty, suffering, what you might call the Protestant work ethic, and replace, replace it with what I talk about in the digital renaissance of work as the digital work ethic, which is a work ethic around passion, fulfillment, and enjoyment. And you're seeing this, and I was with somebody who's the CEO of one of the large consulting companies yesterday. And she was talking about that it's really not about work-life balance anymore because people are getting a lot more meaning and value from their work. And so these things are getting integrated. But I don't know if you can kind of relate to this, Neil, not in your own work, of course, but <laughs> just as a concept. Sure. You know, we're, we're trying to remove misery and replace it with enjoyment. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. That's uh, a brilliant thing to want to aspire to. In a lot of ways, we just put a facade over the industrial mindset we had before. We have all these cool tools now, a lot of technology has come in, but we still operate with that old operating system in our mind of, yeah, it works where you go to suffer, to go through things, to fulfill your contract, to get your money, and then go on. 
So we're talking beyond tools here. We're talking about a philosophy of work, correct? Um, yeah, I think we're take, talking about a shift that is happening in the nature of work. So I think the industrial uh, age mentality of workers suffering has been in decline for several decades. And, and I think what you're starting to see, and you see it through giving people more flexibility, more autonomy over their work, that actually what you discover is that not only, and all the research shows this, do people become more productive, but they actually become more creative um, they experience less sickness and um, uh, and absenteeism. And so I think work is progressively improving for an awful lot of people. Um, obviously, that doesn't mean everybody's doing a job that they love. Mm -hmm. But an analogy for me would be, even if you take that, and I do this sometimes when I do talks, tell me about the most boring um uh, unpleasant job you can think about and and people come up with i don't know why that they come up with kind of refuse collection um that they come up with um you know it's kind of interesting what they come up with because that doesn't strike me as like a really bad job because you get a lot of community and camaraderie but if you give people doing even that job the ability to swap shifts with their colleagues have a certain level of flexibility in their work their own relationship with that work will change. So they're still emptying trash cans and and, and bins and, and doing all of that. But actually, um, if you give them autonomy over what they're doing, it changes it. Also, if you take a team and you compare how they're doing in terms of, if you like, the cleanliness of the area they're covering, and you compare it with other teams and you gamify it, that also changes it. So that the technology really does have some kind of intrinsic capability to make even what you might think of as unpleasant or boring work uh, more fulfilling. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, the best way you can support us is to leave a review in your favorite podcast app. Or better yet, start a conversation with a friend about how you think we can make work better. Thanks. Well, let's talk a little bit more about autonomy. That's a, a big topic we talk about when we discuss leadership. Whenever you're giving tasks to someone else or there's a responsibility to be done, we often want to see that person take on the responsibility to remove the barriers and allow them to decide if they want to even trade shifts with somebody or something like that. What is it unique about this world that we're entering into now with so much being digital that allows for that more in previous times? And is there anything else that, that's kind of countering that that makes it harder now? Well, I suppose if, if you look back several decades, in order for you to do your job in a hierarchical organization, you'd need to be given tasks by your manager or supervisor. Um, you'd need to be going to a fixed place of work. But if you think about it now, let's say you're in a, a distribution uh, logistics role, you're working for FedEx or something like that. You don't need... Um, to have an individual, a manager, telling you what to do. You can be accessing the same information as they are. Um, the system is probably going to be directing you or giving you choices about how you um, shape your day. Um, so the technology is really disintermediating this, this hierarchy uh, where a human being, if you like, controls and dictates what you do. And so one of the things that I think too, that the technology is doing is, is giving us all access to the same information. So in, in the past, power came in a hierarchy from uh, information. So the more information, 
where you had, the more powerful you were. But now what organizations want to do, and Federal Express is a good example of it, they want to expose as much data, customer information to people. So it really helps if you as the distribution guy knocking on somebody's door, know whose door it is that they're open, who's there, know what their name is. Eight makes them feel more secure, makes you feel more secure, and, 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 it, and it helps improve the relationship. Now, you, you brought up an interesting point here where you, you almost said like the system becomes, in some ways, becomes the boss, uh, whether that means mm. it's assigning things. And it, you're almost like saying that it's, it's better off, it's more human for a system to be uh, assigning mm. these roles. Well, talk about that tension between having tasks assigned by system and technology and technology just being an enabler of these things. It's a really good question. I, I talked to somebody who had written a blog called My Boss is a Robot. And it was about their experience of driving a car for Uber and how they didn't have a human boss. They had, you know, a technology boss. And why would a technology boss be better than a human boss? I suppose there's a couple of there's a couple of parts. One is that it's it, it's not in a way going to be um, if designed in the right way, it's not going to be cliquey or prejudicial or treat you a specific way because the boss got out of bed the wrong side that morning. Mm -hmm. So they then take it out on you. In a way, the system, the kind of, I suppose the beauty of the technology is it's neutral. That then gets into the next part. And obviously this is a whole debate is how do we design these systems so that if the technology is, if you like, telling you what to do, how's it doing that? Is it being very, um, directional, and you can think of an organization like Amazon that uses technology and uses it in a very almost quite autocratic way. Or you could look at a, a, a different organization. Um, it's completely different, but there's a company in the UK who distribute organic vegetable, vegetables called Riverford, um, and they use the technology to really um, give people options and choices as well as information that they think is going to be useful. So I think that's really about system design. And I think we can make the technology less sinister um, and and less, if you like, prejudicial than has happened with management. You know, we always know that if you ask people what's there uh, about the quality of their work and how they feel about it, Often it's about their relationship with their direct line manager. And, and if the line manager um, has, is, if you like, themselves freed and liberated from some of the just pure information flows that used to be part of their role, and they're now more about thinking about the quality of the team, thinking about how people are doing, certainly as CEO of the Digital Workplace Group, I don't need to tell people what to do. And we, you know, we have about 100 people working wherever they are because we're a fully distributed company across Europe and North America. And I can be thinking more about the health of the system and, and what's this living ecology inside DWG? How's that performing and functioning um, on any given day? So when it comes to actually assigning tasks to people, 
we're talking about different aspects of leadership uh, management, I guess, as it comes in. When we start to take some of these things, let's say we look at the best bosses that are out there, we examine how they're doing it, we build a great system that everyone's okay with, that we really enjoy working with. What is going to be left for humans to do from a human leadership standpoint about how do we still need to guide each other in this way if we're giving a lot more to the system? Well, I, I mean, this isn't my term, but that the idea of servant leadership, that the idea that the leadership is there in service of the organization and the people in it is where we're moving from. So if, if your job is not to use control dictate, uh, dicta, autocracy to, if you like, force people to do things that they would rather not do. But actually, you've created um, a system across the organization that functions, that functions well. I think of organizations like American Express, where there's a lot of knowledge, information in people. Um, there's a lot of personal empowerment. The the people inside the company understand the principles of what matters to the company. They understand what customer experience, customer service matters uh, means. Then the job of the leadership is to make sure that people are feeling um, as capable and supported in what they're doing as possible to create the brand of the organization that attracts people to come and work there, uh, increases levels of retention inside the organization and you see it as more about service and facilitation rather than um, mandate. I think the leader's there to set the tone for the organization, to set the atmosphere, to set the culture um, and and really to look at the, the overall health of the system. So I think these analogies for me are a lot more about the living world and less and, and less about the mechanistic world because I think we're moving from organization to organism from from a machine mentality to a living ecology and a living system mentality and, I, and I'm currently involved in writing a new book called the nature of work so it's somewhat in my mind at the moment which is all around what is the DNA of work and what do we mean when we think of work as a living ecology as a living system. Wow, that's going to be interesting to, to read when it comes out. I'm excited about that. Yeah, God, I hope I finish it now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit more about the blend of the physical and the digital, especially in the workplace. We have companies like yours that are fully distributed, um, but I'm sure you have times when you all get together. You have other companies where they're mostly co-located and maybe they have a few remote employees. When it comes to these digital workplaces, what are some of the best practices you've seen in terms of blending these two together? Well, I think it's all, there's a lot of experimentation been going on um, in recent years. So I think we've had the, the reimagining, refreshing of physical workplaces. So human beings are social animals and like to meet and like to connect. I think what organizations like Unilever have discovered is that people actually want options and choices so it's not that every not that everybody wants to come to a certain specific workplace every single day uh, at, at, at exactly the same time but it's also not that everybody wants to work from home all the time i mean what we're discovering is that there's a blend of these i mean in the uk uh just six percent of people now do what you might think of as a traditional nine to five day mm. um um, uh, you know, a study of workers at, at HSBC Bank 
found that flexible working hours motivated 90% of people to be more productive. So you're seeing that by combining the, the digital flexibility, mobility, and that's as true when you're in a physical office, warehouse, factory, whatever, as when you're uh, outside of it, you're, you're creating this um, sort of larger geography of work. Um, so I, I think there's a lot of experimentation going on. But I think, I mean, we in, in DWG find that we really want to make the most out of the physical times when we're together. So twice a year, all of our management actually live together. We, we hire a house, um, we cook together, um, we spend the whole week living together and um, we call it the big brother house, even though <laughs> we're not kind of watching each other. It's just become like a kind of thing. But it's really kind of like when we're together, let's use all the time for the chit chat. Let's have breakfast together. Let's burn the toast. Let's 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 kind of in a way turn the times when we are together into something really special. And, and, and I think there isn't one formula that works for every organization. If you're in a very creative company, um, if you're in a kind of technical development company like Google, the the usefulness of people being physically together is 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 greater. Um, other kinds of roles um, uh, you know, and, and other types of industries, um, you know, like financial services, whether you're all physically together really doesn't matter as much. And it's possible to have, you know, call centers which are based in people's homes where they kind of jump into different times of the day working around other things and and so i think one of the things i like is the is the versatility that's that this is bringing yeah i like what you said about people like options and i don't see us moving to a, a place where everything is going to be remote or everything is going to be we're going to go back to being co-located i think we're always going to kind of live in this place where like you said some jobs are better if, if people are together some jobs are better if they're apart some are better if they're only together sometimes so it, it's nice that we live in a world where we have those options and we can uh, we can give those to people as they come through. And uh, I think that's a really great point you made. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and I, I think, as I say, it's, uh, you know, the, the if you think about the effects of the industrial age, which was the last sort of big innovation age, if you like, um, the things that we think about really are the things that it produced in terms of the changes in the way people live and work, which were the development of urbanization, of cities, of offices, of factories, of management, of suburbia. It really affected every aspect of the way that we live. Yeah. And I think the digital age is in its early stages. But what we're seeing is a, a certain level of flexibility, mobility, things like the gig economy, um, something one of my daughters called, told me is called slash career, where you've got a number of things that you do that comprise your working week that provide different bits, you know, different income and together it can give you a kind of uh, a good living. And, and so you're not in a way joining one job and staying at it. So I think what we're seeing is that it will change where people live, where people work. I think we're seeing a repopulation of, I mean, if you go to the north of Scotland, which is a very remote area in the UK, you'll find an awful lot of people earning a living in a global economy. So they're able to then bring that money into that local economy and spend it in the local economy, which then allows people to start new businesses and enterprises there because they're not just depending on the money that people are earning locally, they're earning it globally, but they're living differently. And I think these things are happening in, you know, really across the world 
um, uh, developed and, and underdeveloped countries. Yeah, that gives people the option to continue to live in a city or, or to move out to a different place. Um, and like you said, it, it's, it's a beautiful thing to have right now. When we look at, uh, let's close with this one, uh, digital workplaces, what are the, the problems that we still haven't solved that are still lingering out there that companies still struggle with that you think are still going to take you know five years before we really find a great solution for? Well, they're all work in progress. The main problem, I think, is a problem of fragmentation. So the digital world is, is uh, the digital workplace is pretty fragmented. So I often think that we're in a process of going from fragmentation to integration. We, we, you know, there's so many disparate sources, disparate information, um, technical kind of fragmentation. So I think there's going to be a process, a continual process of taking fragmentation and trying to make things um, more more integrated. Um, I think we're trying to work out what the relationship is between human beings and intelligent systems. Um, what's our relationship supposed to be with AI? robotics is it going to make human beings obsolete or not i think all the evidence says not um actually what we've seen is a rise of human uh work and and you know we've got in quite a number of countries very low levels of employment even though there's been rapid levels of of automation so i think trying to work out those two things um I don't think we've kind of cracked the fact that if people aren't coming to a dedicated physical place to work each day, it can feel quite isolated. It's something I sometimes find that if, you know, because we don't have an office to go to, if I've got a period of a couple of weeks where I'm just sort of in my garden office and I mean, you know, it's not that I don't meet other people. I do. But, you know, it makes me sound a bit sad that. But, you know, it can get quite isolating. And, and I don't think we've quite worked out how to develop the same sort of intimacy and connection that we get um, physically in the digital world. But but I think I think we're making progress. Yeah. Well, Paul, tell people where they can go to stay in touch with you and to find out about your, your books and your upcoming books too. Well, the, the best place is to go to the digitalworkplacegroup.com website. Um, that's all one word, digitalworkplacegroup.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Paul Miller Says. Um, and you can find me um, on LinkedIn and write various posts and, and so on. Well, fantastic. Paul, it's been great to have you on. We'll definitely uh, be in touch soon as we continue to examine this idea of where our work happens. So thanks for being on the show. Pleasure, Neil. Thanks very much. Hey, if you're the kind of person who listens to the very end, you must be a fan. Now, we are building a team of people who really love what we're talking about and want to go deeper. If you want to interact with guests, drive the content of Work Minus, and give feedback on our work before it goes public, send an email to neil at workminus.com. It's N-E-I-L at workminus.com, and I'll get you connected.